Welcome to Risk Never Sleeps, where we meet and get to know the people delivering patient care and protecting patient safety. I'm your host, Ed Gaudet. Welcome to the Risk Never Sleeps podcast, in which we learn about the people who are delivering patient care and protecting patient safety. I'm Ed Gaudet, the host, and today I am joined by Linda Stevenson from the awesome, awesome medical center, Fisher Titus. Thank you for joining us today. Yeah, Linda. thanks for having me. Yeah, and you've got a great background. I, I was looking into it a little bit before we got <laughs> we got on here today. You were at Cerner. You were at Cerner actually during the time I was at Improvada. So you probably know the Improvada product pretty well. Oh, very well. Yes, yes. Yeah. And at Cleveland Clinic and a bunch of other mm-hmm. a bunch of other facilities yeah. as well. Been in healthcare my whole career, so why yeah. great opportunities? A great background. So, tell us about that journey. Why did you get into healthcare? It's funny. I had this. I don't know. At a young age, I was in college, and for some reason, I knew I wanted to be in healthcare. I knew I didn't want to be a nurse, and but I knew I could serve in a better way, and it just felt like such an altruistic place to be. So I ended up starting my very first job in healthcare was as a biller. I was at mm-hmm. Metro Medical Center. I was a biller and uh, did the day-to-day work. Back. That's back in the, when there was typewriters. Right. And uh, we typed claims and we looked up Medicaid claims and I just got into the nitty gritty. And from there, they found I was one of those people who liked to ask a lot of questions. So IT, here I come. Isn't that great? Like we, we, when we hire people, we, that's the first thing we look for. Are they curious? Yes. Do they ask a lot of questions? And some people are probably not loving the fact that I ask so many questions, but hopefully they appreciate it in the long run. I'm the same way. I always ask. I learned early on there was no such thing as a stupid question, only stupid answers. For sure. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Well, great. So t- take us through a little bit about your journey to Fisher Titus. Yeah, I was, I've had a variety of roles, even though with all of them were in IT, went through the process of regulatory um, with HIPAA and privacy, data mm-hmm. security roles. Really my passion uh, from a, a, a professional is um, project management. So I have mm-hmm. a PMP. And I manage a variety of things. Cleveland Clinic grabbed helped roll out their EPIC at the Cleveland Clinic Regional mm-hmm. Hospital. So I did a lot of that. All of that wide variety has prepared me easily for CIO roles. So that's when Dr. Berkey reached out and said, hey, I've got an opening here and we are a Cerner shop. I had 11 years experience with Cerner at that point as both client and working for Cerner. So here I am. And I love being in the community hospital. That's really where my passion lies. I've worked at large organizations and small and just being next to the community, seeing the patients right in the hallway is Mm -hmm. different. Yeah, and I see recently you you received your CH CIO designation. I did. I was yeah, very congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. A little nerve wracking taking the test, but yeah, <laughs> I got there. Yeah. So you're pretty active in China. You'll be going out to the fall forum. I will be at the fall oh, good. forum good. and we'll try to there. be as active as possible, especially involved with their League of Women mm-hmm. for supporting women in STEM. And actually, I'm up for a board position right now, so I'm fingers crossed. I'll oh. get to join them and help in a different way. Oh, that's terrific. That's terrific. And as you think about the past 12 months and you look at the next 12 months at your organization, what are your top three priorities? Yeah, we got a couple of things. I think number one is patient engagement, just seeing how we can use technology, get that patient more involved with their care, doing a lot of digital front door, self-scheduling, self-submission of data. They're not used to that in the community hospitals. So really trying to push for that involvement. Mm-hmm. Uh, second thing is analytics, and we've done, done a, a ton of work on getting analytics in front of our leaders 
the next phase of that is going to be bringing more to them, but also doing some data, data literacy education. In healthcare, it, it's so fascinating. Uh, people have come from all walks of life. You have a nurse that's now a director or a respiratory mm-hmm. therapist that's now a leader, and they don't have that education. So we have to help them understand how to use the data. So that's a big push for us this year. Yep. And, and, and how about, and I also saw actually recently that you last year won Most Wired. We did. Congratulations. I'm, I'm very huge. proud of that. And it's funny because uh, Fisher Titus, you may not be aware, was one of the original most wires back in like 14, 15, 16, 17. They were the first Cerner Smart Room Hospital in the country. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, over time, some of that infrastructure gets old and had to be really, we had to start from the ground up when I got here. So we rebuilt all of that refreshed, automated, and here we are um, um, waiting for our second year of Most Wired again. That's great. And what were some of the changes you made on the infrastructure side? Well, we had to totally reinstall switches, a wireless infrastructure. Uh, We had to reinstall and implement, again, our RTLS system. Mm -hmm. And then the patient education systems in the rooms, all those had really Mm -hmm. gone by the wayside. All that's left was I can watch a few channels, right? Yeah. So a lot of the ground up and then ground up rebuild of our infrastructure for security as well. Really? Okay. Any advice, any learnings from the security journey? Oh, gosh. The way we approach it is kind of unique, I think. We don't have dedicated security professionals. Number one, it's hard to recruit out in a rural hospital area. So that's one of the challenges. But number two, the way I look at it is it's all, look at my entire IT team is all our responsibility. So it's not just the firewall guy or the wireless guy. It's every single person needs to think about security for their piece of the pie, whether that's an application, policy writing, infrastructure, all of that needs to be considered. So we have a committee. And that committee comes together and manages it to, as a whole. And I love that approach. I think it's working really well for us. That's great. That's great. What are what are some of the things that keep you up at night as a CIO? Well, of course, cybersecurity. That, okay. that goes without saying. I mean, that's kind of a given. <laughs> I think the other thing is just the fact that I know there's technology out there that can help, whether it's productivity or mm-hmm. uh, better care. There's so much. So what keeps me up is the selection of the right tools for the right dollars mm-hmm. uh, and making sure that we, we have the right things in place to do that. Um, it's hard. We're limited funds, as you know. Mm-hmm. Bottom line is a 1% margin. Mm-hmm. And um, I really have to be careful about who's buying what and when. Yeah, no, absolutely. And talk to us about everyone's sort of a, a different stage of their AI journey. Where are you folks thinking about AI? So we're a little cautious. Only because I think it's really important to um, make sure there's policies and procedures in place so people understand it. We're starting mm-hmm. to do some education on what it is, how to use it safely, what tools to use, uh, get that policy in place. We're investigating a couple of options that are going to bring AI to uh, both clinical and rev cycle. So those things are, so we do have DAX, the nuanced DAX solution mm-hmm. help in the background with our physician productivity. So that one we embarked on a few years ago, but uh, that's as far as we've gotten yet. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of work on the governance side, obviously, yeah. and and then obviously looking at the various tools. What are your thoughts on internally developed applications? And are you doing any work there? You, you are, yeah. I know you're small. We're doing our analytics internally. We're developing okay. all, our analytics, all our dashboards, all our databases, mm-hmm. um, building our own data warehouse for the most part mm-hmm. uh, with, with feeds from many places. Uh, and that's probably the most. Uh, we're starting to do a lot of power apps. 
for some, but not a lot of it yet because they're just learning. So I've gotten yeah. my team trained and now we're starting to work on some little small things. We don't do a lot of DevOps as a small organization. It's just, it's hard to find those kind of resources here. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're, we're embarking a little in those areas. So you mentioned digital front or the front door in, in that I noticed that tends to vary based on the health system or the hospital. How are you approaching that? So we have selected the CERNER consumer framework tool mm-hmm. and my goal. And now we don't have all the CERNER solutions that they sell. We have um, that, which will incorporate some other ones. We use Experian for self-scheduling. We use RevSpring for financials. Um, so we'll be pulling all those into the digital front door. We have more about 75% there with the tools we have. And, and it'll be ongoing. Mm-hmm. That tool. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Excellent. So if you were not doing this, I think I know the answer to this question, but if you were not doing your current job, what would you be doing? What are you most passionate about? Well, I, as you probably know, <laughs> um, I have a real passion for yoga. I do want to call it a master yoga teacher and a very experienced yoga teacher. I actually yeah. teach other yoga teachers. Oh, and wow. how to be teachers. Yeah, that's, it's, I've been doing like that. the for sensei of yoga. I, well, and I like to think it makes me better at my day job because mm-hmm. I have that ability to detach and move on to the yoga mindset in the evening. I come back refreshed and calm to my crazy day job. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also a wellness coach. So I really have a passion mm-hmm. for making sure that people are healthy and in all ways, body, mind, and spirit. Mm-hmm. And, and how does that work into the culture um, with either your team or even extended? They love it, actually, because I do a class here once a month for oh. anyone who wants to come to the organization. That's great. Um, I lead our month, uh, we, excuse me, monthly wellness Wednesdays we have. So I'll do a topic on sleep or a topic on breathing or a topic mm-hmm. on meditation, whatever it might be. And they really embrace it. And I get calls from all the departments. Hey, can you come teach us the class? So. It's yeah, fun. there's this book I read years ago. I think it's called The Five Rights to the Fountain of Youth. Does that sound familiar? No, I don't know it, that one. And you should check it out. And I will. Literally, there were five yoga positions or mm-hmm. actions or whatever you want to call them. Mm-hmm. And one of the, the first one was just to stand and spin, believe it or not. And you work your way up to 21 repetitions. But I remember Interesting. Like, within like seconds, just my whole body was just sweating. Yeah. Uh, yoga yeah. is a very interesting um, application of obviously mind, like you said, mind, body, spirit. Yep. And uh, it really gets the, you're obviously your clients working in interesting ways that <laughs> quickly that I just haven't experienced with other types, forms of uh, uh, working out or um, fitness. Yeah, I think that's the difference is it's not just a workout. It's much more about mind, body, and spirit when you get into that classroom or do it online or whatever you do. Mm-hmm. Um, we're intimidated by it, but I tell you what, once you get, you get the right teacher in the room, it's like magic. It, you put that movement together with the fact that I have to focus on standing up and not falling over. And you can't think about anything else, which is, I think, the beauty of it all. Yeah, and a lot, like you said, a lot, a lot has to do with the breathing and... Yeah, the, the connection of that breathing with the movement. And I remember I was trying to think about how I got introduced to that book. And now I remembered I was working for a company and I was working with this gentleman who was on one of the teams. This was back in the the 90s. And he had he looked like he was in his 20s. And yet his experience and knowledge suggested he was much older. Yeah. So I asked him one day back then you could ask how old you were. No. <laughs> asked him how old he was. And he told me it was like 45 and I went, what? Yeah. There's no way you're 45. And he said, oh, no, I do this book I've read. And he introduced me to the book. And that's how I got that's it. That's cool. 
That's no, cool. No. I'll be 60 in February. I feel like I'm 20. You and, uh, oh my, which day? My wife's birthday is in Feb- February 11th. February 10th. Oh, so you're the day before. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. terrific. Uh, yeah. So it, it keeps me young and my son's a yoga teacher also. So that keeps oh, us wow. together and, and we have a lot in common there too. That's terrific. Well, yeah. maybe we'll have a chance to do yoga at some point. That, I'd love it. That I'd would love be it. fun. If you could go back in time, and I love this question, and talk to your 20-year-old self, what would you tell her? Yeah, I think there's, there's probably two things. And one would be, don't take life so seriously. We work so hard and feel so pressured, and life should be a little fun. Make work fun. I think that just serves everybody and your health in a better way. Mm-hmm. And, and then also be present. Uh, especially with what we do. My job is to plan ahead. So I'm already in my mind in 2024. So I'm totally missing 2023, right? But how can we be more present with our people or experiences or our friends or our family? Um, and just take a deep breath and take it all in because this is it. This is that moment will never come back again. Yeah, it's so important to to do that. I was just talking to someone yesterday about that, being present and in the moment, but really not just saying those words, but actually going yes. through the action of being present, which is really difficult to do, quite frankly. It, it is. Do you ever mm-hmm. take a vacation and you're behind the camera the whole time and you never really stop to just smell I'm, and look I, and be? I'm doing that next week. I'll be right. working on vacation. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. oh, that's disappointing. I'll be taking a vacation, not there, unfortunately. Oh, <laughs> well, well I'll try to find a couple of days. I'll try to find a couple of days. Good. Yeah. This is the Risk Never Sleeps podcast. So I tend to ask this question. What's the riskiest thing, Linda, you've ever done? Uh, I would probably be my hikes to Angels Landing. Oh, I've been there. That's great. Yeah. So for maybe those who are listening who don't know, it's an amazing hike out in uh, Zion. Zion, yeah. Zion National Park. And it's across this like spine between two uh, mountains, I guess, if you want to call it that. But it's kind of scary. You know, we're one step at a time kind of moment. But we got across and the view was worth every minute. It was oh, so isn't amazing. it beautiful? Uh, yeah. it's, did you I, go across? I didn't. I did not go across. No, yeah. I did not. I was not in any good shape to, to go across. But we did a lot of Zion. A friend of mine's daughter was got married there. She had her wedding there, which is a great location oh, to have beautiful, a wedding. Beautiful, oh, so, yeah. so wonderful. Yeah. yeah. So we did quite a bit of hiking there and uh, never made it to Bryce, although we drove by it. I really wanted to Equally go to Bryce. Equally beautiful, but not no. as risky. Not as, not as risky. <laughs> that's right. Well, that's a good one. What are some of the hardest lessons you've learned in your career? The hardest lessons? I think as a, a technology leader, I don't know if you call it a lesson, but it's very interesting to me that I don't have a technology background. My college degree wasn't in technology. It was in management, which I felt very much like a fish out of water when I was first in early in my career and then fell into technology. And while I got knee deep as an analyst for many years, understanding the ins and outs of systems, I think what's made me a good leader was not the technology knowledge or the application knowledge. It's the people skills. Mm-hmm. And I think that it wasn't a hard lesson. Well, it was a hard lesson for me because I want to get things done. And so I had to really stop. And I think yoga has helped me with that. Helped me mm-hmm. step back and go, okay, how do I better connect with people to get accomplished what we need to accomplish? Well, to your point earlier, the more curious you are, the, yeah. the, the, <laughs> you really yeah. don't need those hard technical skills as long as you know where to get the answers or how to ask the right questions. Right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. 
which a lot of people tend to throw the technology in for technology's sake and don't understand the business in our industry, which is surprising to me because everyone's a patient or everyone knows a patient. And so how do you work the culture to engage your IT folks to get a better understanding of the business? Oh, we try to do partnerships. I ask that all of my analysts and my leaders partner and round on those departments. So whether that's having a conversation on a regular basis mm-hmm. with the nursing leader or shadowing someone in a department, I think that's, we, we got to experience and see what they're dealing with every day in order to help them make good decisions and make recommendations. We also hired a lot from internals. A lot of, about half of my team, not more the tech side, but more the application side is actually from the department. So I have nurses, I have respiratory therapists, I have physical therapists, I have pharmacists, and that really helps. And I can teach you a system. I can't always teach you the real understanding of the nuts and bolts of a workflow. Yes. Well, what's nice about that too is it's much more efficient to hire, I think, internally, but you also provide culturally This ability for people to see opportunity and they know that it's not just words on a page. Actually, there is promotion within within the organization. There's an ability to move into other areas laterally otherwise, which I think is really important, especially in healthcare. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Um, How about on the business side? How do you get the business to understand nuances and complexities of technology, and especially around cybersecurity in, in particular? Well, you got to put it in their terms, okay? That's the bottom line. I'm My best friends are my finance people, right? I'm very close to my finance team, right? CFO, the director of VPs of finance. Exactly. Absolutely my buddies. But you got to put things in their terms. So with cybersecurity, well, actually we had, we were blessed and you'll find it strange, but we were blessed to have experienced a breach in 2020. Yeah. Um, yeah and it was one that was not catastrophic knock on wood, but it was enough that we were able to use that to say, this is what's possible. This is how it manifested. And this is what the ramifications are from a financial perspective. So we, for finance people, I have to explain the financial part of it. Here's the potential impact. For the compliance and legal team, I have to help them understand regulations and potentially breaching regulations. For the nursing team, I have to say, if our IV pumps get breached, you can't treat patients. So if the message is different no matter where you're at. Mm-hmm. Bottom line is you have to speak to their terms, which is, I think, why I'm good at my job because I don't talk tech. That's interesting. And so what were some of the learnings coming out of that that were positive? Were we you able to, during budgeting season, was it easier to actually... 100%. Yeah. <laughs> we used it. And you know, never let a good uh, crisis go to yeah. wait. Right? That's right. We did that with COVID. We did, we did it with our breach. And 100%, we, that was what we needed to go to the board, to go to the capital and say, this is what we need for whether it was ongoing monitoring or a SIM or CrowdStrike or any of those mm-hmm. kinds of things. So we took very much advantage of that. And do you feel like people were much more of a mindset of risk management going forward? Yes. Than they were going into it? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. They really um, pay attention to cybersecurity now. We have it talk about it at orientation. We talk about it on and annually. Get part, we got participation to get systems like Medicaid and UpGuard mm-hmm. to monitor vendor risk. So yes. And and I'm also best friends with our legal compliance leader, uh, our chief legal officer. We work a lot together. That's terrific. That's really great. What are some of your concerns going into the next year from an IT perspective? What are some of the things you're looking at? Cutting cost. Yeah. Finding ways to cut costs. Do more with less, right? So we're trying to get really creative about looking at contracts, maybe some application rationalization, 
there are the things out there we're not really fully utilizing or not getting the ROI out of looking at services such as our biomed support or help desk mm-hmm. support and the different ways that we can handle that to save some money and still mm-hmm. be really successful. So so I, I see more and more organizations consolidating those risk management functions as an example. Is that something you're looking at possibly doing or? Not yet. There's not mm-hmm. a lot of extra to consolidate for us. Mm-hmm. We're a small mm-hmm. hospital. However, we have a consortium. We work closely with three other hospitals. Okay. All, all community hospitals in our area. So that's where the CIOs get together and say, hey, do we have an opportunity here to share biomed resources or share help desk resources, things like that. So mm-hmm. all good conversations that will be coming up. That's terrific. Any last parting thoughts or comments or suggestions or advice for your peers? I guess just get to know your get to know your business partners, get close to the people in your organization and learn how to partner with them because I can install the best things in sliced bread, but if they don't see the value and they don't take advantage of it, really, we're not making, we're not making a headway. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. I love it. Well, thank you, Linda, for joining us today. This is Ed Gaudet from the Risk Never Sleeps podcast. If you're on the front lines protecting patient safety, remember to stay vigilant because risk never sleeps. Thanks for listening to Risk Never Sleeps. For the show notes, resources, and more information on how to transform the protection of patient safety, visit us at sensinet.com. That's C-E-N-S-I-N-E-T.com. I'm your host, Ed Gaudet, and until next time, stay vigilant because risk never sleeps. <laughs>